Hi, everybody, and welcome back to East Screen, West Screen. This is show number four for Wednesday, September 2nd, 2009. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me once again is the Golden Rock himself, Kevin Ma. Hey, hey, hey. All right, before we get into news, Kevin, you had a couple things you wanted to sort of patch up from our show last week, so why don't you go ahead with that? Yep. Um, two weeks ago, I talked about the DVD for Tokyo Sonata, the Hong Kong DVD. Uh, I mentioned that it was the first English subtitle version out there. I was wrong. Turns out um, it's been released in uh, England and also in Taiwan, and both have English subtitles. But uh, the Tokyo, the Hong Kong version is still the cheapest. So that would be my recommendation. If you're looking for a cheapest version of Tokyo Sonata, the Hong Kong version would be the way to go. Okay. And, and I mean, this, as far as you know, um, are there any big differences in the versions in terms of special features or making making ofs or anything like that? I would expect the English one or maybe even the Taiwanese one to have a little bit more extras and maybe nicer quality. Um, but if you're just looking for a way to watch the movie itself, then um, find the cheap Hong Kong version. That would be the way to go. Okay. All right, moving on to our news. Uh, Kevin, you're going to start us off with the, with some news on wedding bells. Yep. Uh, apparently, every Hong Kong celebrity is married and has been married for years, and we didn't know it. Um, Andy Lau uh, was revealed to have been married since June with his girlfriend of over 20 years. Um, yesterday, he was at the airport, and he officially apologized. On his blog, he also mentioned that he got married with uh, Miss Chu, uh, and they're trying to go. They're trying to go for artificial insemination. At the same time, um, the press went crazy and started looking up American wedding records um, and found out that Miriam Yeun also got married in Las Vegas, uh, I believe, two weeks ago with um, Gary Ding, who was a member of a Hong Kong boy band named VRF. Um, she admitted pretty quickly. Um, it happened about two weeks ago, and at the same time. While they're looking up said records, they also found the other heavenly king, Leon Lai, has been married with model Gailey Locke. Um, she has a, uh, Leon hasn't confirmed it, but Miss Locke has. She, she told the press to not call her Mrs. Lai, although they can think about it in their hearts. How sweet. All right, well, l- let's, let's turn back to uh, Wad's eye for a minute, Andy. Uh-huh. Um, because it's my understanding that you know, rumors about him being married have been around for years. In yeah. fact, I've got I've got a um, um, an instructional book and accompanying CD for teaching Cantonese, and one of the dialogues within that is actually a dialogue where it's teaching you to talk about local celebrities and local stars. And the dialogue, the the narrative of the dialogue is talking about Andy Lau, and the fact that he's supposedly been married for quite some time, actually. Text 5.3. Listen to the conversation on Andy Lau. It traces his early successes as a singer and his work as an actor and producer. Answer true or false to the following statements. Okay, 
，哇唔系啊话咁老土，唔紧要，我始终都系佢嘅忠实歌迷，而且佢嘅歌咁好听，好似早期嘅爱不完，近期嘅笨小孩都系百听不厌嘅歌，不过佢好似结咗婚噶啦，啲人自己估啫嘛。And I, I recall talking with、um, some local friends too that at one point there were rumors that actually he already had children.、Um, right. I mean, have you come across similar types of rumors before yourself? Regarding.、Um, yeah, I'm children.、Uh, they've been mentioning、uh, the press has gone crazy about children.、Um, apparently, this thing with Miss Ju has been like Hong Kong's worst kept secret in the in the industry. It's、yeah. something everybody knew, and that's why Andy Lau hasn't really had. Rumors, unlike Aaron Kwok or or Leon, because、well, everyone knows. Well, I mean, let, let's be honest here. I mean, it's probably、uh, that he has he has an agent or a handler out there somewhere, if, likely saying if he was married earlier than these records are possibly showing, that they were saying, you know, we can't go public with this because that's going to spoil the fantasy, you know, the, the romantic、mm-hmm. fantasy that literally millions of fans probably have. For him and him getting up and singing these love songs, I mean, married and Andy Lau on stage crooning to you、uh, is a somewhat different image from non-married Andy Lau. You know, available Andy Lau, and、right. you know, and I, I can I can imagine that from you know a star promotion, you know, in a promoter's mind, that that probably plays a factor and plays a factor not just in you know his career but in the careers of lots of young stars and. Um, you know, young young pop singers, and I think that if we were to really, you, know, you were to really dig into this issue, you would probably find this at work. If we were to talk in more depth about, you know, the Edison photo gates scandal, the fact、mm-hmm. that you know these young people really aren't allowed to have very open relationships in public. I, I think the problem is that when you have things like that, they're real. Like Edison, Jillian, the rumors turn out to be true. Andy Lau, his relationship turns out to be true. It just has more people believing tabloid news that end up not being true、mm-hmm. and made up rumors. It just sort of gives them credibility, and I think that's really sad for the future of Hong Kong entertainment industry. Probably spend the whole episode talking about、uh, rumors and weddings and who's married and who's not. But let's move on to some more credible news and information that's come out this week.、Um, the big news that a lot of people are blogging about and talking about on different shows, podcasts, and and whatnot is that Marvel, the the big comic book publishing giant in the United States, has been bought up by Disney. Um, and a lot of people are reacting to this news in wildly different ways, depending on who you read or or where you're looking for information.、Um, Kevin, what do you what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that this is going to be a good thing for、uh, Marvel, or do you think that this is a bad thing, and that Disney is here again, this giant monstrosity gobbling up gobbling up another IP? I think it would be terrible for studios like Universal or especially Paramount, who has 
a really successful franchise in Iron Man with Marvel. Mm. So now Disney is going to apparently own, I guess, all the Marvel movie ch- franchises. And for me, as long as Marvel continues to operate independently for their content, I don't really have a have a anything against Disney buying up. I'm sure Disney is trying to make money. Yeah. Well, you know, that that brings up a good point. There are those out there, you know, who are saying, don't mess with my Iron Man. You know, Iron Man right. is this dark, gritty property and uh, it has a certain tone to it. And disney that to make it more maybe family friendly is not something that some people want to see. And they're afraid that that might happen. You bring up another good point with the parks um, coming from Florida, as I originally do. You know, I grew up in a state that has its own Disney World, um, has several other parks, including a Universal. And one of the first thoughts on my mind that I really didn't see addressed in a lot of the articles that I was reading was, what is going to happen to the rides at Universal? Because Universal currently holds the rights to like the Spider-Man ride and a Hulk attraction. And when I was there um, last year, um, they have some actors come out on the street dressed up as the X-Men and they have a little show. And so I'm thinking, well, now you've got, you know, the park across the street where the mouse lives owns all these properties. Then with this purchase, they get like 5,000, the rights of 5,000 of the Marvel characters, including the most popular ones, the Spider-Mans, the Hulks, the Iron Mans, the X-Men. So what's going to happen to Universal? Are they going to have to shut these rides down? Did a little digging. I found one article on a travel website um, where they had basically come out and said that... Uh, their agreement with Marvel, that is Universal Studios' agreement with Marvel, stands for now. Mm. And that Disney doesn't have any plans currently to um, break the contract that Universal has. So those rides, at least for the time being, are safe. But what does that mean for Disney parks abroad? I mean, obviously, they're going to want to tap into some of this. So we might be seeing a Spider-Man, you know, showing up over here at Hong Kong Disney one day. Um, or possibly, you know... The Incredible Hulk or, or one of the other many, you know, um, iconic characters that belongs to the Marvel franchise. That's what I'm wondering, because Disney has its own really beloved characters. And I wonder if Disney will bring in these other Marvel superheroes and kind of, I think Disneyland just wouldn't have the same image to me. I, I wonder where they really do that to the theme parks. Well, you know, I mean... Y- the la- I was just at Disney uh, in Disney World in Florida this past summer, and you'd, while you may not see the characters parading down Main Street, uh, if you go into some of the shops, you can find memorabilia and T-shirts and things from other sort of non-Disney products that have mm-hmm. been purchased up by Disney over the years. Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of sale to the secondhand market, I mean, that's likely to be a presence. Now, will you see... Uh, a Spider-Man show here at Hong Kong Disney. Uh, who who can say? They already have one, um, from what I understand, at the um, at the Universal in in Japan. I think I was reading. Hmm. Um, but these characters are not wildly popular in Asia in forms outside of the movies. So we'll have to wait and see what they decide to do with it. The one thing that some some people are talking about on blogs and in in some news sites is the potential for animated films now because Disney owns Pixar um, and because these comics sometimes might work, some of the stories might actually work better as animations that perhaps there's some potential for some of these to be told 
as 3D animated films. Yeah, um, I mean, The Incredibles meets any of the Marvel superheroes. Yeah. That would be great. Hot dog, we got our mouse katools. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody say... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like guys. Look out, here comes a Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. All right, we don't have a lot of news to talk about this week, so let's move right on to our East screen topics. We've got two films that we're going to cover. The first film is Turning Point, which is a prequel uh, featuring a character called Laughing Gull or Laughing Brother. And this character actually comes from a TVB series, which was quite popular, played earlier this year on TV in Hong Kong. And the character... If I understand correctly, because I didn't see the series, but he was not the main character of the series. He was sort of a minor character, but for some for some reason, local the local public really kind of latched on to this character, um, and he got very very popular. So in typical Hong Kong fashion, before uh, the popularity of something dies, you kind of have to beat it to death uh, if you can. <laughs> and so they decided to make a movie out of it, which is an interesting move. So. Here they have this movie, which is a prequel to the TV drama, which is sort of showing where this character came from, uh, how he got to where he was, how the so-called legend was built up for this character. And the character is played by Michael Tsai, who's been in some films, but he's he's got more of a presence in TV dramas these days. Um, also as a dancer. Yeah. And... Besides him and some other TVB stars, which you can see in the film, they bring in a couple heavy hitters in the form of uh, Anthony Wong, Wong Chao Sang, uh, Francis Ng, and Eric Zhang. And so as you're sitting watching this film, you start to get a very strong sort of Infernal Affairs feel to it. But it doesn't really have the polish of Infernal Affairs because it's a, it's not, it got anywhere near the same budget, and it's a Her- Herman Yao production. But he pulls <laughs> it off amazingly well with what he's got. Um, and I would have to say that the performances for this were very, very good. I was very impressed with the storytelling and the direction of the film. There was probably about two or three too many chase scenes in it, from my taste. It seemed like, you know, every five minutes, people were chasing somebody down streets and down alleys, and it was just constant chase after chase after chase. Um, but beyond that, I really started to get into the story and for me, I'd have to say it was successful because it actually want it actually makes me want to go and watch the the TVB series now. Um, really, because I didn't really find Laughing Gall much of a character in his own film. Really, I don't know about you. He is sort of because it just seems to be everything is involving around him. So I guess it is about him. But you don't you kind of lose the wisecracking, the entertaining Laughing Gall he was in the in the drama. Yeah, well, see, I haven't seen the drama, so I can't really, perhaps because I have that disconnect, yeah. um, I, I, I don't see the, di- the difference in the characters. But yeah. the film was engaging enough that it made me want to see more. It made me want to see what happens. And at the same time, it suffers, I guess, from being a prequel in the way that most prequels do, because there's never a true sense of uh, tension 
with the character because you know, okay, well, he's going to end up in this story that happens later. So, you know, he can't die or he can't get majorly crippled or, you know, that these tense moments that are, are built around are really not going to go anywhere. You know, you know, they're going to be resolved at some point. And the other thing that I had in my mind this whole time is even though I haven't seen the series, I know the actors who are in the series and looking at the actors who are in the film, you know, in the back of my mind, I don't want to give anything away, but in the back of my mind, it was very easy to say, who's not going to make it into the series, right. you know, right, right, right. Um, it was very easy to sort of pick that out. But, you know, again, going, going into it pretty much blind, not having seen the series, I really found it entertaining. I was, I was really surprised. I kind of knew it was going to be sort of, you know, that same t sort of dynamic of an undercover, is he an undercover triad or is he an undercover police? And it it gets a little bit um, confusing at certain points in the storytelling because it kind of jumps around, but it does pan out. It does sort of resolve itself by the end of the film so that you can see where the different, you know, plot points kind of, uh, kind of wind up at. I think my problem was, as I wrote in my review on Love H.A. Film, is that it kind of out infer it tried to out inferno affairs out inferno affairs you know you got this person who's undercover for this and it turns out that other person is undercover for that it just and then that undercover is that undercover for another person it just everyone is double double like double crossing each other it, it was kind of becoming yeah. a parody of itself by yeah, the yeah yeah there there was it it did did seem to try and take the genre to somewhat extreme levels but it was really interesting because at first i thought you know, some of these characters, for example, Francis M's character, I thought was really, he was just being sort of the typical triad guy that he's played in other roles. But then towards the end, I found that the director manipulated him in such a way or used him in such a way that it had me rethinking that, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and the same for, for Anthony Wong's character. I, I think you wrote in your review that Eric Tsang was basically just around eating a lot yeah. in a few scenes um but the scenes he were in you know the scenes that he was in were quite good i was i was again i was really impressed with the casting given that this was probably a very very low budget to work with and i think most of the half the budget went to anthony Wan's makeup yeah and yeah i would have to agree with that <laughs> all right um yeah i for those out there who, if you get a chance to see this, I would have to give it a recommendation uh, as something to definitely see when it comes out on video, if you have a chance um, and you don't have the opportunity to see it in the theater. I can't really say if you should go and watch the TVB series. I don't think it's out yet. I was looking, I was looking for it. I don't think it's been released, but what I imagine is that around the time that this film gets released on DVD, you'll probably be seeing a box set of, the TV series. What do you think? Maybe. And I heard that because of the, they weren't planning to make a fourth um, installment of that, the Academy series, but yeah. I hear because of Laughing Goss popularity, they're already planning it. Oh, oh okay. Um, more work for Michael Say, maybe. Maybe not. Okay. Our next film is Happily Ever After. Um, Kevin, why don't you uh, give us a synopsis and some of your thoughts on this film? Ah, uh, okay. So Happily Ever After is the uh, newest uh, Emperor Entertainment Group vehicle for their young stars. This time it's Ken Hong. It's directed, co-directed by YY Kong, who's a longtime producer. Last produced, I think, um, Yes, I Can See Dead People. 
also a Yiji movie, mm. and uh, Astro Chung was an editor. Um, the movie uh, also stars Michelle Wai, uh, I think a new star, I think she was in terrible TV dramas, but I don't know. Um, it's a young girl who goes back to her high school, middle school reunion and thinks back to a sort of a lost romance between her and classmate played by Ken Hong. Um, after the reunion, um, Ken Hong, the, 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 what's his name, the, uh, opposite, the, the, her, her, her rival debater, her ex high school, um, brief lover comes back and they engage in a romance of sorts. Um, but then a twist happens. Yeah, um, so am I allowed we'll, to? We'll, we'll, we'll tell you the twist. If, if you don't want it, this is, it's kind of a spoiler, but if you go and you read about the film or you read interviews with the director, um, Th those will be spoiling the film also but if you don't want to spoil if you don't want to be spoiled if you want to see the film fresh um maybe you want to skip ahead for a little bit um or wait to listen to the rest of the podcast until after you've seen the film uh, because we are going to spoil a little bit uh for the film although actually they reveal kind of reveal this in the first five minutes of the film anyway yeah, it's quite an obvious review anyway. So once you see that small, supposedly subtle clue, you see it. Turns out, um, uh, Kang Hong, the grown Kang Hong, is um, might be a ghost. So um, rest of the, I think the second half of the movie, you see the girl trying to, um, or her family trying to deal with this ghost human romance. Mm. Yeah. So the, the the conflict at the end is to whether whether really believe that this is a ghost or whether it is on her mind. Yeah. So, and based on that and the sort of the, the resolution of the film, how do you think, how do you think that this plays out for that sort of romance subgenre, which is nothing new. We've, we've seen those kinds of stories done multiple times in Hong Kong film and in, in films from other parts of Asia. Right. Uh, how do how do you think, how do you think it works here? I think the problem even starts right in the beginning is that, the romance itself isn't nearly memorable enough to really matter that much. I mean, they've had a couple run-ins and they hold hands. I mean, they dated for a week and then suddenly they're done. That's the whole flashback. The thing is, there wasn't really much of a romance in the first place to earn this type of melodramatic, over-the-top emotional roller coaster this character goes through. Yeah, so it's not so like it, 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 you're not given sort of that same that same sense of, of bonding that you get in maybe characters like from uh, the butterfly lovers or the lovers who spend, you know, an entire school year together and mm -hmm. develop a relationship over a period of time. Whereas here it, it seems rather sort of uh, short and, and rushed in, in some ways. Yeah. Or even ghost. Um, I guess a prime example of a ghost human romance is that, you know, they've been married for years or they know they're, they love each other, but these kids have been together for like a week. <laughs> so uh, how do we even remember each other years later? Mm. And the whole thing is taken so seriously that, you know, I don't, he, he's trying to do his best as the father and he's really, he's really the best actor in the film, but what he's asked to do, it, it just sort of, in the third act, the last half hour, hurt so much unintentional laughter from the other people, not not even just us, from the other people. That I just feel sorry for for Hui Siu Hong. Mm. Well, I, I, he was my favorite part of the film. Uh, I think I mentioned last time that I'd pretty much go to see anything that he's in because I I just really like him as sort of a character actor, and he did have a very strong performance. And actually, the main actress um, Michelle Wai, I was very impressed with her. 
I thought that she, except with the exception of a couple scenes which were a bit overdone, which I'd kind of more lay on the director because she's a bit of a new actress, but I think she carried the other scenes and, you know, the narrative that was trying to be told fairly well um, for the material that she was given. I think that one comment that we had from one of the friends who was watching the film with, with us was that the film was way too serious. It, it, Right, you really needed some comedy to sort of lighten it up because it, it was just taking itself really way too seriously. I would have gone as far to say, you know, they sort they needed to go back to sort of the the, the happy ghost days, and you know, yeah. give her give her some magic powers, let her let her beat the rival basketball team, or or give her some you know super speech for the next debate or something. Even though she's no longer in school because the film does sort of jump around, but it it really got to the point to where it was overly serious. And for me, the music, uh, it, it sort of has this continuous, monotonous piano riffing that's going on through these moments. And it works in some cases, but it's on all the time. And it really sort of just brings the whole movie, uh, brings the whole movie down a notch. It, it's just too overbearing. Of course, that's because that's the Ken Hong song. Yeah. Ken latest Ken Hong song. That's why they keep playing and playing again. Just so you remember after watching the movie, you can go down to Bangkok and buy the album. Um, well, would you, would you not recommend this film or would you say it's still worth, worth watching in some respect? Definitely not. I mean, not even Ken, I mean, Ken Hong is not much of an actor, so not even Ken Hong French. This one of the worst movies of the year for me. Really? You think so? Yeah. See, I, yeah. I, 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 I think I'd still tell people to watch it. And one of the things that I think is interesting is I think that this is probably speaking much more strongly to, you know, uh, the secondary school kids. Uh, and, you know, kids who are sort of in that changeable time of their life where they're getting ready to leave their friends in secondary school and maybe go off to get a job or go go into college. And they probably can relate because they have some friends who are probably going to go abroad and leave them behind. And so I do think that, you know, there's there's some things there that the kids are going to relate to. But I think by the end, uh, the the premise that everything ultimately builds to is a little bit nonsensical. Um, but again, I don't yeah. want to give away too much because we don't want to spoil. spoil and everything else in that genre has been done better. You want a better secondary school romance, watch Tempting Heart. You want a better human ghost romance, go watch Ghosts. Everything's been done better before, and it just breaks, not, breaks nothing new. Mm. It brings nothing new to anything. All right. So let's go on then, and we'll talk about our West Screen film for this week, and that is a film called The Brothers Bloom. Now, I haven't seen this, but Kevin, you've seen it, so why don't you tell us your thoughts on it? Yep, The Brothers Bloom is the second feature film by an um, American director named Rian Johnson. Uh, his debut was the very impressive uh, high school film noir, Brick. Have you seen this, Paul? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, it's a very good film. Uh, not underrated because it was very well regarded. Anyway, this is his big foray into bigger budget filmmaking. Uh, it starts Adrian Brody and Mark Ruffalo as two con artist brothers uh, who are very legendary. And of course, this movie would be about their one last job. Um, and the target is a eccentric millionaire hottie uh, played by Rachel Weisz. So, um, and the rest, of course, is the con. They 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 try to take her on a big adventure. Um, of course, in the middle, they steal something and they cheat her of some money. But then one of them 
accidentally falls in love, and this being one of those last job movies, of course, the job itself doesn't go right. Um, the first half, I really, really enjoy this movie. Um, the first half of it is 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 uh, really light, and you see that sort of um, you see Rian Johnson has been. Um, Influenced by films, Wes Anderson films or P.T. Anderson films. You even have Ricky Jay, who was um, the narrator in the opening seven minutes of Magnolia. He's also narrating the first seven minutes here. Um, very stylish, um, a lot of fun, um, quite funny. And also Rinko Kikuchi, uh, the girl from Babel, who was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. She's also here. Uh, she only speaks about three words, but she's quite fun throughout as the non-speaking sidekick. Anyway, my problem with the film was the second half when it turns a little serious, and of course, then you have to have your meanings and your your romance has to mean something. Um, then it drags a little bit. Um, other than that, um, I think all the actors are great, especially Ringo Kikuchi, like I said earlier. Um, Rianne Johnson is obviously a very talented writer director. So I'm just really disappointed to see the Brothers Bloom didn't do very well in America or didn't do very well when it premiered at, um, I think, Berlin or Venice last year. So uh, you have a chance. Um, definitely check out Brothers Bloom. I think it's one of the most underrated movies this year. Okay, let's move on to our main topic for this week. And this is a topic that's a little bit sad for us to talk about, and that is that the character actor Xing Fuan passed away last week uh, on August 27th. He died from complications from cancer. And if we look at his career, uh, he never really made it into sort of what I would say mainstream roles himself. He, he, he has one that we'll talk about a little bit later, but given the fact that he never really became a, a superstar actor himself, he did star in over 170 films. Um, his first film dates back into the 70s, but he really got active in the early 80s. And it, over just over a 20-year period uh, between then, uh, early 80s to the early 2000s, he did on average eight films per year. And if you watch any Hong Kong cinema from this period, from the 1980s, the 1990s, you cannot pretty much go two or three films without seeing him in some role. Um, and he's, he's pretty ubiquitous uh, in the Hong Kong cinema of, of these two decades. And so we want to talk a little bit for a few minutes in sort of remembrance of him about some of our favorite films and some of our favorite roles that that he's played. And unfortunately, he was often typecast as a sort of a stereotypical gangster or bad guy, but he did have an opportunity to uh, go into different genres and, and play in some comedies. And he actually did have a starring role, which we'll talk about in our picks of the week in just a moment. But um, I want to talk a little bit about some of our some of our favorite films and point out that again he worked with pretty much everybody if you go through his filmography um, starting back from the 80s he was working with people like Chow Yun-fat, um, Andy Lau, uh, Anita Moy, uh, Stephen Chow, Jackie Chan I mean and even the genres uh, the, the big genres that Hong Kong became known for 
uh, whether it was a film like A Better Tomorrow um, or the, the gambling movies like God of Gamblers. Um, he was even in one of the Troublesome Night films, you know, the, the sort of cheesy horror series. And I think, it, I think those have gone up to like 18 by now. I remember starting with 20 or something. Were they? Have they gone that far? Yeah, yeah 22, hard, 23. Yeah. Hard, it's hard to keep up with those these days. But he's been in, I mean, all the really big landmark films. He's, he's played a part in at some point. A lot of people in the West will know him from The Killer with Chow Yun-Fat, which is one of John Woo's more famous um, films overseas. But uh, again, as I mentioned, he was, he's been with, um, he's done, he's worked with directors like Wong Jing, uh, Johnny Toe, and he's pretty much just been a constant presence. And one of his more recent films, he was in, um, not a great film, but Himalaya Singh with uh, um, Lao Ching Wan and um, uh, Ronald, Ronald Cheng. So, you know, to have sort of this ongoing presence throughout cinema, although lacking uh, of starring, you know, sort of a starring naming role in many of these films, um, it really shows a, a very long and intense body of work coming from uh, a man who's, you know, sort of at the heart of cinema. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there, myself included, who would like to say that they had such an impact on a cinema industry such as this. I mean, you won't find many actors in Hollywood doing this many films in such a short time span. You know? um, so it's really a credit to his work ethic and his ability to say, you know what, if I'm going to be typecast, if I'm going to do the bad guy, uh, I'm going to do the, the big bully triad boss, I'm going to go in and I'm just going to give it my all. And when you see his performances in a lot of films, um, that's what he does. But And, and I think on... Uh, on one of the films I was looking up over at um, Love Hong Kong Film, Kozo wrote about him. Uh, he says he he was in this role in his, uh, what he called the quote-unquote pissed-off mode, uh, <laughs> which I guess is sort of one of the standard roles that he would take on. But at other times, you could see him in uh, much more different roles. For example, I was watching uh, The Greatest Lover the other day with Chai Yun-Fat and Anita Moy um, and Eric Zhang. And in that film... Chai Yun-Fat, Eric Tsang, and Ching Fuan are fugitives coming from China trying to get into Hong Kong. And it's the three of them uh, goofing around, uh, being a little bit politically incorrect in some of the jokes, making fun of the mainland Chinese, which is ironic. Uh, if you look at the state of affairs today, uh, that relationship has really shifted quite a bit. Um, but the three of them goofing around having fun and him being in you know, a, a somewhat different role. That was one of the films that I first remember seeing him in and recognizing him as doing something different because before then I had seen him do a lot of the very typical triad gangster roles. Um, I was watching another film with Anita Moy and Eric Zhang, Trouble, Trouble Couples, and in that he was just sort of brought in in a cameo as just this tough bad guy who steals Eric Zhang's girlfriend, Sandra Ng, away. Um, so he's just there to play that that role for that one little bit and it's not even a major part but he was willing to do it um kevin what are, what are some of your thoughts about him what are do you have favorite mo moments or favorite movies that he was in i think for me like most hong Kongers, that you you've grown up watching so many uh movies with shing fui on in it that you just kind of everything's kind of blurred but you always remember dai song he's more easily hong kong because of that really 
short period of making films or short period of uh, churning out films, constantly churning out films, that they're really good at producing these character actors. Like I was saying before, Hui Siu Hong, uh, Lam Suet, and Sheng Fuyang is easy one of the one of the best of all of them. And um, the thing is, as many as people remember him as a tough guy, for me, I I really like him when he's doing the vulnerable tough guy. Because mm. Sheng Fuyang is probably no master thespian or he's no method actor, so you know when he's playing the nice tough guy you know that you're kind of seeing a bit of himself mm. especially after knowing that he was the head of his own village or he's the head of his village in Saikung for five turns in a row that you know he's probably a very likable guy and you you when you watch him you like to sit down and have a beer with him he's just yeah. one of those yeah, actors he, he just looks like one of those guys that it's like you know okay let's go have work Saogong and let's go to Yamcha or something and just somebody you'd really like to be able to sit down with and pick his brain about the industry and his place in it and the things he's, he's seen and learned. Um, you know, again, having done so many films in such a short period of time, you, you've got to build up sort of an encyclopedic knowledge of the industry, you know, in just those experiences. Um, so, you know, it, it's again, if there were, you know, I, I guess everybody who loves cinema of any genre, of, of, of any geography, whether it's Hong Kong cinema or UK cinema or European cinema, they probably have um, a short list of people that they wish they could just sit down with and talk to and, and get to know and, and listen to more than anything. And he was definitely one of the people on my list. Um, yeah, definitely one of mine too. Let's move on and go to our Flying Buddha Picks of the Week. And this week, both of our picks are going to focus on films that starred or had Xing Fu on in significant roles. Um, Kevin, you're going to start off this week and tell us about which film. Yep, uh, my film this week is uh, The Detective, um, starring Aaron Kwok, directed by what, the Pang Brothers. Uh, this is Xing Fu last role, I believe. Um, he was only here, he was only in it for about two scenes, but he plays a very important role because he's the character who brings Aaron Kwok into the case. And this, the, the, um, vulnerable tough guy that I was talking about, he, uh, is, he plays, he, his first scene is really, you remember him because one, he's one of the first characters on screen. And also he has the really, he has that gross puking thing he was doing in the beginning before the, the opening credits starts. So yeah. The first thing you remember, oh my god, that's Dai Song, because you haven't seen him for years. I think he didn't do many movies after 2002, 2001. So when you see him back in Hong Kong cinema, you instantly recognize, hey, that's Dai Song. And I think his appearance made the film really had a great opening. And of course, the puking thing really helped. And um, and he's a very significant character. So I know Aaron was good in it, and the movie itself was good. But Shing Fuyan, I think, um, is a very good final role for him. Yeah, that's definitely one of the one of the better movies that's come out in recent years, um, and it was really nice to see him return. Uh, according to um, his biography, he has a number of films that came out um, post two thousand, but a lot of those look like 
from the titles, many of them I haven't seen, but they look like they were maybe straight to video. Uh, I titles. believe they were. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, the as I look at the list, the one thing that I see here is um, that's recognizable is um, Himalaya Singh, of course. Well, he's got he's got uh, Killing End, which I'm I'm pretty sure I saw in the cinema, um, or I might have just seen it on DVD that he was in. Um, but then he's got there was a prison on fire. I guess a, a semi sequel or a spinoff called Preacher, which I didn't I didn't see that one in two thousand and two. He's got a bunch of other things listed in two thousand and three, um, and then the only thing that I've seen him in since is Himalaya Singh, which was two thousand and five, and then his last film, The Detective, two thousand and seven. Well, my pick this week is going to jump back to nineteen ninety one, and this was one of the rare actual starring roles that he had sort of as the lead. And this is the film, uh, what they call the blue jean monster. And it's, it's really an oddball kind of a film. If, if you've seen it, um, just to give you a little bit of a synopsis, he plays a sort of rough guy policeman named uh, Joe Tsu. And his wife is played by uh, Pauline Wong and his wife's pregnant and basic the the basic gist of the story is that he's going to break up uh, he breaks up a robbery in progress and he chases the robbers he chases the robbers down there's a shootout um and he gets it's on a construction site and he gets crushed under a bunch of debris at the construction site during the shootout with with the bad guys and then the film starts to get really weird in <laughs> only the way that hong kong films can um, he's laying there and he's, he's been shot and he's been crushed and he's dying and he, he's, he may be dead and you, you, you're never really sure. Um, and a cat comes and I guess it's a pregnant cat, um, and sits on him in the rubble. And at the same time, there's a lightning storm and lightning hits the rubble and electrifies the rubble. And the cat is like feeding him some cat energy I don't know if it's coming from the cat or the fetus. They never really explain it, but you know, in Hong Kong films, you don't have to explain it. That's one of the great things, I guess, about um, about films sometimes, um, unless it's sci-fi, like we talked about last week. Um, but anyway, make a long story short, he he comes back to life. He's not sure why he's alive, and he basically turns into sort of this Frankenstein-like zombie who needs electricity to keep him going. So he constantly has to recharge himself. And he basically is trying to fulfill his two final wishes, which his two final wishes, which are to see his child born and to capture the bad guys uh, who did this to him. And so the rest of the film is him trying to keep the fact that he's sort of this, this uh, decaying Frankenstein uh, hidden from his wife and his friends. And at the same time, trying to capture the bad guys and, in typical 1990s action film fashion, there's a big showdown at the end um, with quite a bit of action and some uh, a few special effects. Uh, but for the most part, when he's he shifts between looking somewhat human and um, somewhat monstrous, and in his monstrous form, I kept thinking back to the old Incredible Hulk TV series because he's got <laughs> sort of these greenish eyes and a greenish tinge to his skin, and he looks sort of like the middle phase between Bill Bixby as Bruce Banner and Lou Frigno as the Hulk. <laughs> He's kind of that middle stage somewhere in between. 
Um, and interestingly, as I look at the DVD, this is available from the recent release Legendary Collection, very uh, cheap series of DVDs from Fortune Star. Um, but he's not even given the top billing um, on the on the DVD. Uh, in if you when as I look at the credits in both Chinese and in English, um, he's listed last. Uh, it's, it lists Zewaikit, um, Kun Murajun, Gloria Yip, and Pauline Wong, and finally Xing Fuan. Um, so well, you read from right to left, and he's first technically. But but no, the way it's written in Chinese, um, because you know it's got the little uh, character oh, yeah, actors. Right. So yeah, they're 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 actually writing the Chinese left to right, and the English is is left to right. So he's yeah. kind of built last. It's unbelievable. I mean, even in the film that he's the major star, they don't give him the top billing. So even Amy Yip gets uh, one of the starring credits, even though she's only one one scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's 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 in as as a guest star, uh, showing off her valuable assets from that time <laughs> period um as as you might expect um and but it you know if you haven't seen this film it really is a chance to see him sort of take the lead in, in a starring role and you know arguably he could have done done a lot more given given the opportunity but unfortunately you know the industry you know wants to find the pretty face to uh take the take the leading man spots and so he didn't have very many opportunities uh, like Blue Jean Monster. So while it's not a tremendously outstanding film for its genre, it is fun. And if you get a chance, I would recommend you to take a look. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We'll be back next week. We'll talk a little bit about upcoming films that we're going to be seeing over the next few days, including uh, the new teenage comedy Trick or Cheat. And the new comedy coming from Zhang Ziyi, Sophie's Revenge. In the meantime, if you'd like to send us any questions or comments, you can feel free to do so. You can send us uh, written emails. Uh, there'll, there'll be there's a, actually a form that you can fill out on the website, and you can send or you can send us an email direct at Kongcast at hotmail.com. You can, if you prefer to send an audio file, you can attach an audio file and just record your comments to us, and we'll be happy to play them here on the show. And in the meantime, if you'd like to follow along, uh, Kevin, Kevin, how can people uh, keep abreast of what you're up to? Uh, I'm quite prolific on Twitter, um, The Golden Rock, one word. Uh, you can also follow me on the blog, The Golden Rock, in lovehafilm.com. And as always, you can find these and the archives of these sites at www.kongcast, that's two words, K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. And we look forward to bringing you more shows in the coming days to talk about the latest and the greatest happenings in both Hong Kong, Asian, and world cinema. And so until then, we will wish you good viewing, and we'll see you next time. See you next time and goodbye, Dyson.